Chapter Twenty Four of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. I would it were bedtime, how and all well. Shakespeare. A second glance sufficed to convince the whole of the startled party that the young Pawnee whom they had already encountered again stood before them. Surprise kept both sides mute and more than a minute was passed in surveying each other with eyes of astonishment if not of distrust the wonder of the young warrior was however much more tempered and dignified than that of his christened acquaintances while middleton and paul felt the tremor which shook the persons of their dependent companions thrilling through their own quickened blood the glowing eye of the indian rolled from one to another as if it could never quail before the rudest assaults his gaze, after making the circuit of every wondering countenance, finally settled in a steady look on the equally immovable features of the trapper. The silence was first broken by Dr. Battius in the ejaculation of, Order, primates, genus, homo, species, prairie. Ay, ay, the secret is out, said the old trapper, shaking his head, like one who congratulated himself on having mastered the mystery of some knotty difficulty. The lad has been in the grass for a cover. The fire has come upon him in his sleep, and having lost his horse, he has been driven to save himself under the fresh hide of a buffalo. No bad invention, when powder and flint were wanting to kindle a ring. I warrant me now this is a clever youth, and one that it would be safe to journey with. I will speak to him kindly, for anger can at least serve no turn of ours. My brother is welcome again using the language which the other understood the tetons have been smoking him as they would a raccoon the young pawnee rolled his eye over the place as if he were examining the terrific danger from which he had just escaped but he disdained to betray the smallest emotion at its eminency his brow contracted as he answered to the remark of the trapper by saying a teton is a dog when the pawnee war-whoop is in their ears the whole nation howls it is true the imps are on our trail and i'm glad to meet a warrior with the tomahawk in his hand who does not love them will my brother lead my children to his village if the sioux follow in our path my young men shall help him to strike them the young pawnee turned his eyes from one to another of the strangers in a keen scrutiny before he saw fit to answer so important an interrogatory his examination of the males was short and apparently satisfactory but his gaze was fastened long and admiringly as in their former interview on the surpassing and unwanted beauty of a being so fair and so unknown as Inez, though his glance wandered for moments from her countenance to the more intelligible and yet extraordinary charms of ellen it did not fail to return promptly to the study of a creature who in the view of his unpractised eye and untutored imagination was formed with all that perfection with which the youthful poet is apt to endow the glowing images of his brain. Nothing so fair, so ideal, so every way worthy to reward the courage and self-devotion of a warrior had ever before been encountered on the prairies, and the young brave appeared to be deeply and intuitively sensible to the influence of so rare a model of the loveliness of the sex. Perceiving, however, that his gaze gave uneasiness to the subject of his admiration, he withdrew his eyes, and laying his hand impressively on his chest, he modestly answered, My father shall be welcome. The young men of my nation shall hunt with his sons. 
the chiefs shall smoke with the grey head, the Pawnee girls will sing in the ears of his daughters. And if we meet the Tetons, demanded the trapper, who wished to understand thoroughly the more important conditions of this new alliance, the enemy of the Big Knives shall feel the blow of the Pawnee. It is well. Now let my brother and I meet in council, that we may not go on a crooked path, but that our road to his village may be like the flight of the pigeons. The young Pawnee made a significant gesture of assent, and followed the other a little apart, in order to be removed from all danger of interruption from the reckless paw or the abstracted naturalist. Their conference was short, but, as it was conducted in the sententious manner of the natives, it served to make each of the parties acquainted with all the necessary information of the other. When they rejoined their associates, the old man saw fit to explain a portion of what had passed between them as follows. "'I, I was not mistaken,' he said. "'This good-looking young warrior, for good-looking and noble-looking he is, though a little horrified, perhaps, with paint, this good-looking youth, then, tells me he is out on the scout for these very Tetons. His party was not strong enough to strike the devils, who are down from their towns in great numbers, to hunt the buffalo, and runners have gone to the Pawnee villages for aid. It would seem that this lad is a fearless boy, for he has been hanging on the skirts alone, until, like ourselves, he was driven to the grass for a cover. But he tells me more, my men, and what I am mainly sorry to hear, which is that the cunning Matori, instead of going to blows with the squatter, has become his friend, and that both broods, red and white, are on our heels, and outlying around this very burning plain to circumvent us to our destruction. "'How knows he all this to be true?' demanded Middleton. "'Anon. In what manner does he know that these things are so?' "'In what manner? Do you think newspapers and town criers are needed to tell a scout what is doing on the prairies, as they are in the bosom of the state?' No gossiping woman who hurries from house to house to spread evil of her neighbor can carry tidings with her tongue so fast as these people will spread their meaning by signs and warnings that they alone understand. Tis their learning, and what is better, it is got in the open air and not within the walls of a school. I tell you, Captain, that what he says is true. For that matter, said Paul, I'm ready to swear to it. It is reasonable, and therefore it must be true. And well you might, lad, well you might. He furthermore declares that my old eyes for once were true to me, and that the river lies here away at about the distance of half a league. You see the fire has done most of its work in that quarter, and our path is clouded in smoke. He also agrees that it is needful to wash our trail in water. Yes, we must put that river between us and the Sioux eyes, and then, by the favor of the Lord, not forgetting our own industry, we may gain the village of the Loops. "'Words will not forward us afoot,' said Middleton. "'Let us move.' The old man assented, and the party once more prepared to renew its route. The Pawnee threw the skin of the buffalo over his shoulder, and led the advance, casting many a stolen glance behind him as he proceeded, in order to fix his gaze on the extraordinary and, to him, unaccountable loveliness of the unconscious Inez. An hour sufficed to bring the fugitives to the bank of the stream, which was one of the hundred rivers that served to conduct, through the mighty arteries of the Missouri and Mississippi, the waters of the vast and still uninhabited region to the ocean. The river was not deep, but its current was troubled and rapid. The flames had scorched the earth to its very margin, and as the warm streams of the fluid mingled, in the cooler air of the morning, with the smoke of the raging conflagration, 
most of his service was wrapped in the mantle of moving vapor. The trapper pointed out the circumstance with pleasure, saying, as he assisted Inez to dismount on the margin of the watercourse, "'The knaves have outwitted themselves. I am far from certain that I should not have fired the prairie, to have got the benefit of this very smoke to hide our movements, had not the heartless imps saved us the trouble. I've known such things done in my day, and done with success. Come, lady, put your tender foot upon the ground, for a fearful time has it been to one of your breeding and scurry qualities. Ah's me! What have I not known the young and the delicate and the virtuous and the modest to undergo in my time among the horrifications and circumventions of Indian warfare? Come, it is a short quarter of a mile to the other bank, and then our trail, at least, will be broken. Paul had by this time assisted Ellen to dismount, and he now stood looking with rueful eyes at the naked banks of the river. Neither tree nor shrub grew along its borders, with the exception of here and there a solitary thicket of low bushes, from among which it would not have been an easy manner to have found a dozen stems of a size sufficient to make an ordinary walking stick. Harky, old trapper! the moody-looking bee-hunter exclaimed. It is very well to talk of the other side of this ripple of a river, or brook, or whatever you may call it, but in my judgment it would be a smart rifle that would throw its lead across it, that is, to any detriment to Indian or deer. That it would, that it would, though I carry a piece here that has done its work in time of need at as great a distance. And do you mean to shoot Ellen and the captain's lady across, or do you intend them to go trout fashion with their mouths under water? Is this river too deep to be forded? asked Middleton, who, like Paul, began to consider the impossibility of transporting her, whose safety he valued more than his own, to the opposite shore. When the mountains above feed it with their torrents, it is, as you see, a swift and powerful stream. Yet have I crossed its sandy bed in my time without wetting a knee. But we have the Sioux horses. I warrant me that the kicking imps will swim like so many deer. Old trapper, said Paul, thrusting his fingers into his mop of a head, as was usual with him when any difficulty confounded his philosophy. I have swam like a fish in my day, and I can do it again when there is need, nor do I much regard the weather. But I question if you get Nellie to sit a horse, with this water whirling like a mill-race before her eyes. Besides, it's manifest the thing is not to be done dry-shod. Ah, the lad is right. We must to our inventions, therefore, or the river cannot be crossed. Then, cutting the discourse short, he turned to the pawnee, and explained to him the difficulty which existed in relation to the women. The young warrior listened gravely, and throwing the buffalo skin from his shoulder, he immediately commenced, assisted by the occasional aid of the understanding old man, the preparations necessary to effect this desirable object. The hide was soon drawn into the shape of an umbrella top, or an inverted parachute, by thongs of deerskin, with which both the laborers were well provided. A few light sticks served to keep the parts from collapsing, or falling in. When this simple and natural expedient was arranged, it was placed on the water, the Indian making a sign that it was ready to receive its freight. Both Inez and Ellen hesitated to trust themselves in a bark of so frail a construction nor would Middleton or Paul consent that they should do so, until each had assured himself, by actual experiment, that the vessel was capable of sustaining a load much heavier than it was destined to receive. Then, indeed, their scruples were reluctantly overcome, and the skin was made to receive its precious burden. "'Now, leave the Pawnee to be the pilot,' said the trapper. "'My hand is not so steady as it used to be, but he has limbs like tough and hickory. Leave all to the wisdom of the Pawnee.' 
The husband and lover could not well do otherwise, and they were fain to become deeply interested, it is true, but passive spectators of this primitive species of faring. The Pawnee selected the beast of Matari, from among the three horses, with a readiness that proved he was far from being ignorant of the properties of that noble animal, and throwing himself upon its back, he rode into the margin of the river. Thrusting an end of his lance into the hide, he bore the light vessel up against the stream, and giving his steed the rein, they pushed boldly into the current. Middleton and Paul followed, pressing as nigh the bark as prudence would at all warrant. In this manner the young warrior bore his precious cargo to the opposite bank in perfect safety, without the slightest inconvenience to the passengers, and with a steadiness and celerity which proved that both horse and rider were not unused to the operation. When the shore was gained, the young Indian undid his work, threw the skin over his shoulder, placed the sticks under his arm, and returned, without speaking, to transfer the remainder of the party, in a similar manner, to what was very justly considered a safer side of the river. "'Now, friend doctor,' said the old man, when he saw the Indian plunging into the river a second time, "'do I know there is faith in yonder redskin? He is a good-looking, eh?' and an honest-looking youth, but the winds of heaven are not more deceitful than these savages when the devil has fairly beset them. Had the Pawnee been a Teton, or one of them heartless Mingos, that used to be prowling through the woods of York, a time back, that is, some sixty years agone, we should have seen his back and not his face turned towards us. My heart had its misgivings when I saw the lad choose the better horse, for it would be as easy to leave us with that beast as it would be for a nimble pigeon to part company from a flock of noisy and heavy-winged crows. But you see, that truth is in the boy, and make a redskin once your friend, he is yours so long as you deal honestly by him. What may be the distance to the sources of this stream? demanded Dr. Battius, whose eyes were rolling over the whirling eddies of the current, with a very portentous expression of doubt. At what distance may its secret springs be found? That may be as the weather proves. I warrant me your legs would be a-weary before you had followed its bed into the rocky mountains. But then there are seasons when it might be done without wetting a foot. And in what particular divisions of the year do these periodical seasons occur? He that passes his spot a few months from this time will find that foaming water course a desert of drifting sand. The naturalist pondered deeply, like most others, who are not endowed with a superfluity of physical fortitude, the worthy man had found the danger of passing the river, in so simple a manner, magnifying itself in his eyes so rapidly, as the moment of adventure approached, that he actually contemplated the desperate effort of going round the river, in order to escape the hazard of crossing it. It may not be necessary to dwell on the incredible ingenuity with which terror will at any time prop a tottering argument. The worthy Obed had gone over the whole subject with commendable diligence, and had just arrived at the consoling conclusion that there was nearly as much glory in discerning the hidden sources of so considerable a stream as in adding a plant or an insect to the list of the learned, when the Pawnee reached the shore for the second time. The old man took his seat, with the utmost deliberation, in the vessel of skin, so soon as it had already been duly arranged for his reception and having carefully disposed of Hector between his legs, he beckoned to his companion to occupy the third place. The naturalist placed a foot in the frail vessel, as an elephant will try a bridge, or a horse is often seen to make a similar experiment, before he will trust the whole of his corporal treasure on the dreaded flat, and then withdrew, just as the old man believed he was about to seat himself. "'Venerable venerator,' he said mournfully, "'this is a most unscientific bark.' 
there is an inward monitor which bids me distrust its security. Anon, said the old man, who was pinching the ears of the hound as a father would play with the same member in a favorite child. I incline not to this irregular mode of experimenting on fluids. The vessel has neither form nor proportions. It is not as handsomely turned as I have seen a canoe in a birchen bark, but comfort may be taken in a wigwam as well as in a palace. It is impossible that any vessel constructed on principles so repugnant to science can be safe. This tub, venerable hunter, will never reach the opposite shore in safety. You are a witness of what it has done. Ay, but it was an anomaly in prosperity. If exceptions were to be taken as rules, in the government of things, the human race would speedily be plunged in the abysses of ignorance. Venerable trapper, this expedient in which you would repose your safety is, in the annals of regular inventions, what a lucis naturae may be termed in the list of natural history. A monster! How much longer Dr. Battius might have felt disposed to prolong the discourse, it is difficult to say, for in addition to the powerful personal considerations which induced him to procrastinate an experiment which was certainly not without its dangers, the pride of reason was beginning to sustain him in the discussion. But fortunately for the credit of the old man's forbearance, when the naturalist reached the word with which he terminated his last speech, a sound arose in the air that seemed a sort of supernatural echo to the idea itself. The young Pawnee, who had awaited the termination of the incomprehensible discussion, with grave and characteristic patience, raised his head, and listened to the unknown cry, like a stag, whose mysterious faculties had detected the footsteps of the distant hounds in the gale. The trapper and the doctor were not, however, entirely so uninstructed as to the nature of the extraordinary sounds. The latter recognized in them the well-known voice of his own beast, and he was about to rush up the little bank, which confined the current, with all the longings of strong affection, when Asinus himself galloped into view, at no great distance, urged to the unnatural gate by the impatient and brutal Wuka who bestrode him. The eyes of the Teton and those of the fugitives met. The former raised a long, loud, and piercing yell, in which the notes of exultation were fearfully blended with those of warning. The signal served for a finishing blow to the discussion on the merits of the bark, the doctor stepping as promptly to the side of the old man as if a mental mist had been miraculously removed from his eyes. In another instant the steed of the young Pawnee was struggling with the torrent. The utmost strength of the horse was needed to urge the fugitives beyond the flight of arrows that came sailing through the air. At the next moment the cry of Wooka had brought fifty of his comrades to the shore, but fortunately among them there was not one of rank sufficient to entitle him to the privilege of bearing a fusee. One half the stream, however, was not passed before the form of Matori himself was seen on its bank, and an ineffectual discharge of firearms announced the rage and disappointment of the chief. More than once the trapper had raised his rifle, as if about to try its power on his enemies, but he has often lowered it without firing. The eyes of the Pawnee warrior glared like those of the cougar at the sight of so many of the hostile tribe, and he answered the impotent effort of their chief by tossing a hand into the air in contempt, and raising the war-cry of his nation. The challenge was too taunting to be endured. The Tetons dashed into the stream in a body, and the river became dotted with the dark forms of beasts and riders. There was now a fearful struggle for the friendly bank, as the Dakotas advanced with beasts which had not, like that of the Pawnee, expended their strength in former efforts, and as they moved unencumbered by anything but their riders, the speed of the pursuers greatly outstripped that of the fugitives. The trapper, who clearly comprehended the whole danger of their situation, 
calmly turned his eyes from the Tetons to his young Indian associate, in order to examine whether the resolution of the latter began to falter, as the former lessened the distance between them. Instead of betraying fear, however, or any of that concern which might so readily have been excited by the peculiarity of his risk, the brow of the young warrior contracted to a look which indicated high and deadly hostility. "'Do you greatly value life, friend doctor?' demanded the old man, with a sort of philosophical calmness which made the question doubly appalling to his companion. "'Not for itself,' returned the naturalist, sipping some of the water of the river from the hollow of his hand, in order to clear his husky throat. "'Not for itself, but exceedingly, inasmuch as natural history has so deep a stake in my existence, therefore—' "'Aye,' resumed the other, who mused too deeply to dissect the ideas of the doctor with his usual sagacity. "'Tis in truth the history of nature.' and a base and craven feeling it is. Now is life as precious to this young Pawnee as to any governor in the States, and he might save it, or at least stand some chance of saving it, by letting us go down this stream. And yet, you see, he keeps his faith manfully, and like an Indian warrior. For myself, I am old, and willing to take the fortune that the Lord may see fit to give, nor do I conceit that you are of much benefit to mankind. And it is a crying shame, if not a sin, that so fine a youth as this should lose his scalp for two beings so worthless as ourselves. I am therefore disposed, provided that it shall prove agreeable to you, to tell the lad to make the best of his way, and to leave us to the mercy of the Tetons. I repel the proposition as repugnant to nature and as treason to science, exclaimed the alarmed naturalist. Our progress is miraculous, and as this admirable invention moves us so wonderful a facility, a few more minutes will serve to bring us to land. The old man regarded him intently for an instant, and shaking his head, he said, "'Lord, what a thing is fear! It transforms the creatures of the world and the craft of man, making that which is ugly seemly in our eyes, and that which is beautiful unsightly. Lord, Lord, what a thing is fear!' A termination was, however, put to the discussion by the increasing interest of the chase. The horses of the Dakotas had, by this time, gained the middle of the current, and their riders were already filling the air with yells of triumph. At this moment Middleton and Paul, who had led the females to a little thicket, appeared again on the margin of the stream, menacing their enemies with the rifle. "'Mount! Mount!' shouted the trapper, the instant he beheld them. "'Mount and fly, if you value those who lean on you for help. Mount and leave us in the hands of the Lord!' "'Stoop your head, old trapper!' returned the voice of Paul. "'Down with ye both into your nest!' The Teton devil is in your line. Down with your heads and make way for a Kentucky bullet. The old man turned his head and saw that the eager Matori, who preceded his party some distance, had brought himself nearly in a line with the bark and the bee-hunter, who stood perfectly ready to execute his hostile threat. Bending his body low, the rifle was discharged, and the swift lead whizzed harmlessly past him on its more distant errand. But the eye of the Teton chief was not less quick and certain than that of his enemy. He threw himself from his horse the moment preceding the report, and sunk into the water. The beast snorted with terror and anguish, throwing half his form out of the river in a desperate plunge. Then he was seen drifting away in the torrent, and dyeing the turbid waters with his blood. The Teton chief soon reappeared on the surface, and understanding the nature of his loss, he swam with vigorous strokes to the nearest of the young men, who relinquished his steed as a matter of course to so renowned a warrior. The incident, however, created a confusion in the whole of the Dakota band, who appeared to await the intention of their leader before they renewed their efforts to reach the shore. 
In the meantime, the vessel of skin had reached the land, and the fugitives were once more united on the margin of the river. The savages were now swimming about in indecision, as a flock of pigeons is often seen to hover in confusion after receiving a heavy discharge into its leading column, apparently hesitating on the risk of storming a bank so formidably defended. The well-known precaution of Indian warfare prevailed, and Matori, admonished by his recent adventure, led his warriors back to the shore from which they had come, in order to relieve their beasts, which were already becoming unruly. "'Now mount you with the tender ones, and ride for yonder hillock,' said the trapper. "'Beyond it you will find another stream, into which you must enter, and turning to the sun, follow its bed for a mile, until you reach a high and sandy plain. There will I meet you. Go, mount, this pawnee youth and I, and my stout friend the physician, who is a desperate warrior, are men enough to keep the bank, seeing that show and not use is all that is needed.' Middleton and Paul saw no use in wasting their breath in remonstrances against this proposal. Glad to know that their rear was to be covered even in this imperfect manner, they hastily got their horses in motion and soon disappeared on the required route. Some twenty or thirty minutes succeeded this movement before the Tetons on the opposite shore seemed inclined to enter on any new enterprise. But Tory was distinctly visible in the midst of his warriors issuing his mandates and betraying his desire for vengeance by occasionally shaking an arm in the direction of the fugitives. But no step was taken which appeared to threaten any further act of immediate hostility. At length a yell arose among the savages which announced the occurrence of some fresh event. Then Ishmael and his sluggish sons were seen in the distance, and soon the whole of the united force moved down to the very limits of the stream. The squatter proceeded to examine the position of his enemies with his usual coolness, and, as if to try the power of his rifle, he sent a bullet among them with a force sufficient to do execution, even at the distance at which he stood. "'Now let us depart!' exclaimed Obed, endeavouring to catch a furtive glimpse of the lead, which he fancied was whizzing at his very ear. "'We have maintained the bank in a gallant manner for a sufficient length of time. Quite as much military skill is to be displayed in a retreat as in an advance.' The old man cast a look behind him, and seeing that the equestrians had reached the cover of the hill, he made no objections to the proposal. The remaining horse was given to the doctor with instructions to pursue the course just taken by Middleton and Paul. When the naturalist was mounted, and in full retreat, the trapper and the young pawnee stole from the spot in such a manner as to leave their enemy some time in doubt as to their movements. Instead, however, of proceeding across the plain towards the hill, a route on which they must have been in open view, they took a shorter path covered by the formation of the ground, and intersected the little water-course at the point where Middleton had been directed to leave it, and just in season to join his party. The doctor had used so much diligence in the retreat as to have already overtaken his friends, and of course all the fugitives were again assembled. The trapper now looked about him for some convenient spot where the whole party might halt, as he expressed it, for some five or six hours. "'Halt!' exclaimed the doctor, when the alarming proposal reached his ears. "'Venerable hunter, it would seem that, on the contrary, many days should be passed in industrious flight.' Middleton and Paul were both of this opinion, and each, in his particular manner, expressed as much. The old man heard them with patience, but shook his head like one who was unconvinced, and then answered all their arguments in one general and positive reply. "'Why should we fly?' he asked. "'Can the legs of mortal men outstrip the speed of horses?' Do you think the Tetons will lie down and sleep, or will they cross the water and nose for our trail? 
Thanks be to the Lord, we have washed it well in this stream, and if we leave the place with discretion and wisdom, we may yet throw them off its track. But a prairie is not a wood. There a man may journey long, caring for nothing but the prince his moccasin leaves, whereas in these open plains a runner, placed on yonder hill, for instance, could see far on every side of him, like a hovering hawk looking down on his prey. No, no, night must come, and darkness be upon us, afore we leave this spot. But listen to the words of the Pawnee. He is a lad of spirit, and I warrant me many is the hard race that he has run with the Sioux bands. Does my brother think our trail is long enough? He demanded in the Indian tongue. Is a teton a fish, that he can see it in the river? But my young men think that we should stretch it until it reaches across the prairie. Matari has eyes. He will see it. What does my brother counsel? The young warrior studied the heavens a moment, and appeared to hesitate. He mused some time with himself, and then he replied like one whose opinion was fixed. The Dakotas are not asleep, he said. We must lie in the grass. Ah, the lad is of my mind, said the old man, briefly explaining the opinion of his companion to his white friends. Middleton was obliged to acquiesce, and, as it was confessedly dangerous to remain upon their feet, each one set about assisting in the means to be adapted for their security. Inez and Ellen were quickly bestowed beneath the warm and not uncomfortable shelter of the buffalo skins, which formed a thick covering, and tall grass was drawn over the place in such manner as to evade the examination from a common eye. Paul and the Pawnee fettered the beast and cast him to the earth, where, after supplying them with food, they were also left concealed in the fog of the prairie. No time was lost when these several arrangements were completed before each of the others sought a place of rest and concealment and then the plain appeared again deserted to its solitude. The old man had advised his companions of the absolute necessity of their continuing for hours in this concealment. All their hopes of escape depended on the success of the artifice. If they might elude the cunning of their pursuers by this simple and therefore less suspected expedient, they could renew their flight as the evening approached, and, by changing their course, the chance of final success would be greatly increased. Influenced by these momentous considerations, the whole party lay, musing on their situation, until thoughts grew weary, and sleep finally settled on all, one after the other. The deepest silence had prevailed for hours, when the quick ears of the trapper and the pawnee were startled by a faint cry of surprise from Inez. Springing to their feet like men who were about to struggle for their lives, they found the vast plain, the rolling swells, the little hillock, and the scattered thickets, covered alike in one, white, dazzling sheet of snow. "'The Lord have mercy on ye all!' exclaimed the old man, regarding the prospect with a rueful eye. "'Now, Pawnee, do I know the reason why you studied the clouds so closely? But it is too late. It is too late. A squirrel would leave his trail on this light coating of the earth. Ha! There comes the imps to a certainty. Down with ye all! Down with ye! Your chance is but small, and yet it must not be willfully cast away.' The whole party was instantly concealed again, though many an anxious and stolen glance was directed through the tops of the grass on the movements of their enemies. At the distance of a half-mile, the Teton band was seen riding in a circuit which was gradually contracting itself and evidently closing upon the very spot where the fugitives lay. There was but little difficulty in solving the mystery of this movement. The snow had fallen in time to assure them that those they sought were in their rear, and they were now employed, with the unwearied perseverance and patience of Indian warriors, encircling the certain boundaries of their place of concealment. Each minute added to the jeopardy of the fugitives. Paul and Middleton deliberately prepared their rifles, 
and as the occupied Mahtoree came at length within fifty feet of them, keeping his eyes riveted on the grass through which he rode, they leveled them together and pulled the triggers. The effort was answered by the mere snapping of the locks. "'Enough!' said the old man, rising with dignity. "'I have cast away the priming, for certain death would follow your rashness. Now let us meet our fates like men. Cringing and complaining find no favor in Indian eyes.' His appearance was greeted by a yell that spread far and wide over the plain, and in a moment a hundred savages were seen riding madly to the spot. Matori received his prisoners with great self-restraint, though a single gleam of fierce joy broke through his clouded brow, and the heart of Middleton grew cold as he caught the expression of that eye which the chief turned on the nearly insensible but still lovely Inez. The exultation of receiving the white captives was so great as for the time to throw the dark and immovable form of their young Indian companion entirely out of view. He stood apart, disdaining to turn an eye on his enemies, as motionless as if he were frozen in that attitude of dignity and composure. But when a little time had passed, even this secondary object attracted the attention of the Tetons. Then it was that the trapper first learned, by the shout of the triumph and the long-drawn yell of delight, which burst at once from a hundred throats, as well as by the terrible name which filled the air that his youthful friend was no other than the redoubtable and hitherto invincible warrior hardheart End of chapter twenty four